0: No, sweet. So hey, we, as we come to John chapter fifteen, John chapter fifteen is an awesome chapter. I mean, for so many reasons, we we know that this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. As we've been seeing, as we've been making our way through this section of John's gospel, that this is the uh, the time that Jesus grabbed with his disciples to be alone with them to kind of pass on to them his last will and testament and his last instructions for them uh, before heading to the cross, and in John 15, it's really interesting because Jesus deals with three relationships that every one of his followers has to get right, that you have to figure out and you have to sort out. And the first relationship is this, is your relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus told them, you have to abide in me. You have to abide in the vine. You have to dwell in me. You have to make me your home, your dwelling place. So you got to get that right dwelling, abiding in Jesus. Then he said, your relationship to one another matters. And in that relationship, I'm calling you to this, a new command I give you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how you relate to one another is this, is that you love each other. And the third relationship that Jesus talks about is the one that we're going to see in this text this morning that we're going to make our way through. It's our relationship uh, with, with the world. How do we relate as followers of Jesus to the world around us? And, uh, and so let me just pray as we come to God's word this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, as we uh, look to see our place in your kingdom and in this world. Lord, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that your spirit would speak uh, to hearts and lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, your relationship, to this world and in, in this world and with this world changes. And you know I kind of think well wow well, wouldn't it be nice if when you came to faith in Christ that all of your problems just ceased? <laughs> Did you ever think that was going to happen, you know, like you come to faith in Jesus and then everything would just be simple and easy and ordered like you like you get saved and like Jesus you just can ascend into heaven or that all temptations are behind you? Or that all sin is behind you? Wouldn't that be nice? Or, or that you know, pain and problems and tears and grief and sorrow would just all be in the rearview mirror. Like sometimes we falsely think that that's what the Christian life is. And and th- this morning, this text reminds me of this. It reminds me of this that the that the Christian life is not like a holiday. Like we love we love a holiday. We love to go stay at a resort and and have some. Downtime. We love life in a lazy boy chair with a remote in our hands, watching our favorite stuff. But when you follow Christ, here's what you didn't do. You didn't get on a cruise ship. You, you boarded a battleship. You got into the battle. You were woken to the realities of God and his kingdom and his work in this, in this world. And I think that sometimes we forget that. And one of the battles that we have to learn to live as we follow King Jesus is that we have to learn that this, that this world does not belong to him. It does not belong to Jesus. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a world that is in a relationship of animosity with its creator. Even though he's done everything to set things right, it's, it's in hostility to him. And it's a world that, as you follow Christ, you begin to realize, wow, there's all sorts of tensions in my life that I didn't feel or expect or know existed when I didn't follow Jesus. They weren't a reality to me. And the tensions you feel are like many as you follow Christ and you want to be his witness and you want to serve him in this world. You go, wow, like I I have, you feel it in politics or you feel it in the values that you have or you feel it in your philosophy about how to handle money or the value of marriage or religion, or in your sexuality, or in your relationships, or in what truth is, and what's not truth. I mean, the list of tensions for a Christian in this world are kind of endless. Like, you can just go off. And so really, what you begin to sense as you follow Jesus is this. You begin to sense, wow, I don't belong here. I don't, I don't belong in this world. This world is not my home. Jesus is my home. Jesus is my life as we just sang. And and so Jesus tells his disciples this in John chapter 15. He tells them, Make your home in me. Which is interesting. We want to make a home in this world. Jesus said, No, make your make your home in me. Love, love one another, love others, but you did not get on a cruise ship here when you followed Jesus. You boarded a battleship. And Jesus didn't promise ease of life when we when we uh followed him when we when we surrendered our lives to him what he promised was his presence what he, what he invited us to is to abide in him to make our home in him but as far as this world goes this is not a life of ease following Jesus Jesus actually said this and we're going to we're going to see it in the weeks to come in John chapter 16 verse 33 he said in this world you'll have tribulation you'll have trouble but take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I think, I think about that, that promise, or so that, that warning from Jesus. Tribulation, trouble is actually the promise. When you follow me, this is what's going to happen for you in the world. You're going to have trouble with the world. You're going to have tribulation with the world. The, the root meaning of the word tribulation actually means to be threshed. Like, like the threshing of wheat, the separation of wheat and chaff. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like the world's thrashing you? Like, wow, what is going on here? Well, Jesus said that's what it would be like if we followed him. And that's why this text is so valuable because Jesus talks about our relationship with the world, with the the disciples' relationship with the world. And when he talks about the world in this text, the the it, it means this. That word world means godless society. It means it means. A godless society of unbelieving people over whom you know Satan is still ruling. That's the world of which Jesus speaks. And until Jesus comes, or until we die, this is the world in which we live. One that's godless, one that's unbelieving, one over which Satan rules. And Romans chapter 12 tells us that as followers of Jesus, we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and approve and know what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's see what Jesus says about our relationship with the world. Check out verse 18. i going to read through to 25. If the world hates you, I'm like, wow. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember that word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. I read this and I'm like, I, this text is, it's crazy because when you come to know Jesus... Jesus brings such peace into your life. You know, joy, this sense of home, this sense of rest, knowing that you're you're saved. And, And like, obviously we know there's nothing greater as followers of Jesus. There's nothing greater than knowing Jesus. So you would think this. You would think the world would want to hear about Jesus. You would think that others want to hear about Jesus, know Jesus, and then the world does this. The world surprises you. You know, you, you see stuff online or you watch the news or you see it on TV or in the workplace or maybe even in your home, you hear hatred towards Christ. You hear hatred towards God's people. You know, here's Jesus is teaching us and calling us to love, love God, love people. Not that we're confessing to have it perfect, not that we've got it all figured out, but we're growing, we're learning to love Jesus more, learning to to love those around us, and the world, Jesus says, hates. The world hates, hates the church, hates followers of Christ. It's hard for us to think about this. You know, I think about the church. I'm like, what does our church do in this community but benefit the community? What does any church do, for the most part, but benefit the places where God has planted them? You know, we're not perfect. But we teach people value one another, love one another, love as Christ loved you, preach a message of salvation. We're seeking to be better neighbors, learning to be better husbands and wives, learning to be better employees in, in the workplace. Shouldn't people welcome that? But many don't. Many, in fact, hate the church, hate Jesus, hate the people of God. And you think, well, well, how how can that be? You know, human beings are kind of naturally like that. Like You don't like someone. It's kind of a natural human thing to not like someone who's not like you, someone who's different, someone who has different values. But If you follow Jesus, you have different values. You're different. You're called out of this world. Your values, your beliefs, your desires, your ambitions, the things that drive your life, that relationship with Christ, causes you to be different. You can feel it in school. You can feel it in the workplace. You can uh, feel it in, in different places, sometimes even amongst the members of your own family. And sometimes what you want to do is this as a Christian. This is what Christians all want to do. We want to retreat. Well, if we could always just go to camp, if we could just have a workplace that was all Christians, wouldn't that be awesome? If on my street, if everybody just went to CTK on my street, then everything would just be so sweet and great. Or if all my, you know, if my kids were just in a school where they weren't inundated with the culture of this world and being blasted, wouldn't that be awesome? Or wouldn't it be awesome if I could just turn on the TV and not have culture being pressed onto me, the message of this world? If only I could just not have the system of this world constantly jammed down my throat. But, church, that is not God's will. Your mission, your mission for the name of Jesus is not to withdraw. Your mission is to stay right where He's planted you and to blossom, to grow where where He is. You you don't need to cut the world off, church. The world will do that by itself, it'll cut you off. What your mission is is to be salt and light, to stay, to be present, to be an. an ambassador, to be a witness for the name of Jesus. You, you don't belong to the world anymore, and the world knows it. and You know it. The fragrance of Christ is on your life. And you read this word hate. You know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, we weren't allowed. In my house, we weren't allowed to say the word hate. That, that was banned from speech in our home. And when us kids would fight, My mom would grab us, and we'd have to like hug one another. That's what we were forced to do. And then we would have to say this: "I love you. You're my brother. I love you. You're my sister." And and you know, it was wonderful fodder. Like really, you know, I'd be rousing my sister all over. We'd be scrapping, and then my mom would make us hug and say, "I love you. You're my sister." And you guys, some of you know my sister. So I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity for me just grind her a little more. So I'd be sappy and soppy and tell her how much I love her, and she would say, I hate you. You're my brother. And she'd get in more trouble because we weren't allowed to say that. Hate's an incredibly strong word. This is a strong word, and Jesus used it. It's like crazy to me that he switches so quick. In the middle of this chapter, he says, you love one another? The world hates you because it hates me first. That's a strong word. We have like this growing culture in our society that's like hate police. We know this, right? I, I saw this this week on the news that uh, one of the local government officials is like inquiring to see if they can like find people in Canada for hate. It means the, it means this. The hate is like an intense, strong dislike, a loathing, detesting. And when you think about it, to hate Jesus, why would anybody hate Jesus? Think about what you know about Jesus and the things that we've sung about him this morning. Why would anyone hate Jesus? That's irrational. That doesn't make any sense. One of the things that jumped out to me so much on Wednesday night this week as we were going through walk through the Bible, Blake was teaching through Daniel, was this concept of man devolving, becoming animal-like, becoming beast-like as he and his pride rejects God and glories in his own self. Nebuchadnezzar, when you turn to the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and he lived like a beast in the field until he acknowledged. That's what he was reduced to eating grass and growing out his hair and his nails. He was reduced to animal behavior until he acknowledged that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of this earth, over the kingdoms of men. Sin destroys your thinking. Sin destroys your ability to be rational and, and logical. And, and here's something that's irrational that the world does. The world hates Jesus. That doesn't make sense. The world hates what is good. That's why the world loves it when Christians fall. <laughs> they love it. You know, when the TV preacher goes down because of some sin, you know, that's happening all the time in the world. Political leaders are doing that all over the world. People are involved in all sorts of sinful behaviors all over the world all the time, but when a Christian falls, man, that's like great fodder for the enemy. That's news a news story that that the world rejoices in, and there's something sick about it that it's like, The fallen Christian. Jesus says this. They hate you because they first hate me. That's interesting to me that he says, you know, you love because you were first loved. He says the world hates because it first hated me. You know, when we think about Jesus, what reason could there possibly be to hate Jesus? Like Jesus is good. I don't know anything. There's nothing bad Jesus ever did. He spoke truth. He said, I am the truth. He said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the life. He did good things to those who hated him. He loved people. He, he met them in their need. He spoke truth to them. He ministered to them in their sickness. But the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would actually be hated without reason, and he makes this reference to his disciples, that that he would be hated without reason, that there was no sensible, logical, rational reason to hate Jesus. There isn't one. makes no sense. And Jesus says, the world will hate you because it first hated me. And they hate me because they hate my Father. That's interesting to me, like, because... Many claim, I love, I love God. Many religions claim to love God, to be about God, but then they reject the person of Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, you, you cannot claim to love the Father. You cannot claim to, to love God and hate me. If you hate me, you hate the Father. And I have to say, you know, that makes me wonder about a lot of religions in the world. Like, What are they actually really about? What's at the heart of religion outside of faith in Jesus Christ? If, if, if any religion or any movement or cult or, or group, if, they, if they're knocking Jesus down, if they're bringing Jesus down a notch, if they're lowering the work of Jesus, if they're lessening the work of the cross, if they're you know, cheapening the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, how can the love of God be in them? That's what Jesus is saying they're deceived if you hate jesus you don't know the father and if and if you want to know the father we've been seeing this in john you have to look at the son you have to look to him and so this is the logic of jesus jesus says this the world hates christians because it hates me and hates the father as well and And, you know, studying this, I just think, man, I so badly want to, and I think we want to do this as Christians, we want to Christianize our culture. We want to Christianize the world. We want to think that the world thinks through the lens of Christian faith. In our love for Jesus, we want to put on our rose-colored Christian glasses and, and dole out the benefit of the doubt and forget the true spiritual state of this world, my friends, Without Jesus Christ, this world is lost in sin. We can't forget that. That the true spiritual state of this world is that it's at enmity with its creator. The world is hostile to the God who made it. So far as to deny his existence. So far as to say his word is not real, that it can't be trusted. So far as to deny his love, to deny his His laws, to deny his patterns for home and for life and for marriage and for children and for sexuality and for the value of life and for holiness and for his word. The, the world is at odds with its creator. And it's not that men are Men and women are just simply indifferent to God. It's this, that the world made a unilateral decision, a declaration. We're independent from you, God. We reject you. All have sinned. The world has raised its fist to heaven and said, we can live without you. We we don't need you. We don't like you. We don't love you. We don't want you. And the Lord says this, all day long I hold out my hands to stubborn and obstinate hearts, obstinate people. And it's because people are enemies of God that they become enemies of Jesus and so become enemies of those who follow Jesus. And this is actually why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important to us. This is why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus because the mission of the Holy Spirit is to point people to jesus to point the world to jesus and the holy spirit is doing so by doing this he's making you brave for the name of christ We've Seen this throughout john that he's making you a fortress for the name of jesus and for the glory of the father in heaven we need to be filled with the spirit and so jesus tells these guys in verse 26 when the helper comes whom i will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The spirit of truth. thats one of the names of the Holy Spirit. I think about the men's conversation this past week where they were asking that question, what is truth? And having a discussion on that. It's interesting. We talk about what is truth. We we live in a, a democratic society. We live in a society where Power is given by the majority for certain people to to rule. And it's considered right. Right is considered by the majority picking what right is, what truth is. The Holy Spirit doesn't function that way. The Holy Spirit does not consult the majority. He's the spirit of truth. And he says if you want to find truth, it's only found in one person. It's not a vote. Truth is not a vote. Truth is not a majority. Truth is a person, and the spirit of truth points all people, all men, all women to one person, no matter what the world thinks. No matter what the majority believes, the Holy Spirit is out to prove the world wrong and to prove Jesus right. That's his mission. That's his ministry. And we can be full of the spirit. We can partner with the Spirit and we can point people to Jesus. Say, I found truth. Jesus is the truth. In him there's no lie. In him there is nothing false. All his words are good. All of his actions are good. Jesus is right. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He's victorious. In him is life and Him is light, and Him is abundance of life, and Him is eternal life. You know, it's interesting, Paul came to this place where this was the thing that dominated his teaching. Where where he said, you know, I, I just got to the point where I came not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that people's faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The gospel is the power of God. The message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the salvation of mankind, that is our message. That is the power of God, church. And to the world, the scripture tells us that the message of the cross is foolish. But to those who are being saved, it's what? The power of God. Jesus Christ is the truth. And I want to say, well, let the haters hate. Jesus Christ is the truth. But man, it gets tough sometimes, doesn't it? Holding ground, going against the stream, trying to live for Jesus in the midst of a culture that is hostile towards him. The world rears its head, it spews its venom. Sometimes we show up at a church and we we sing, man, some God morning, when this life is over, get out of here. I'll fly away, you know, like a, prison, like a bird from prison bars his phone. I'll fly away. But church, until that day comes, your job is to hold ground. Until that day comes, your job is to stand for the name of Jesus and proclaim who Jesus is. And that's where the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes becomes so important to us and why we need him so badly because he helps us bear witness for Jesus. There's pressure in serving Jesus. There's opportunity to waffle, to quit, to throw in the towel, to run, to abandon the message. But we're not of those who throw in the towel. That's why Jesus said these things. Look at chapter 16. He said, I said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You know, I read that, it makes me think of uh, Paul the apostle, who was Saul before he came to know Jesus. He was a man, before, Jesus, before he knew Jesus, he was a man who breathed out murderous threats. He seethed threats against the people of God. He hated the people of God, the followers of Jesus. He was a man who used political power to hunt and imprison followers of Jesus. He was a man who was an accomplice and approved the murder of Stephen, the first martyr, For Jesus. Saul believed, he honestly believed that he was offering a service to God. The text, the the original language literally means that, that, that those who do such believe that they're doing the work of a priest, that they're serving God. Saul believed that he was serving, like in a sort of priestly role, this priestly fashion, as he was murdering and arresting Christians. And he was doing it in the name of religion. Saul didn't know God. When God knocked Saul off that horse in Acts chapter 9, off his high horse, when he was blinded by the vision of Jesus, he asked this question, Who are you, Lord? Because he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know the Father. He hated the followers of Christ because he hated Jesus, and he did not know the Father. And Jesus stopped him in his tracks. And when he met Jesus, he met the Father, he fell in love with the people of God. He fell in love with those who followed Jesus. He he counted himself amongst those whom he had hated. What he valued, what he loved, the moral compass of his life, it was all transformed as he served and followed Jesus. Jesus who had only ever done him good. He quickly found that he... And and, and the thing about Paul is he quickly found out that he was now hated. Uh, He couldn't even get out of the city a few days after without having to leap over the wall and be lowered down in a basket. The world to which he once belonged now hated him. And to me, it's interesting as I read that, that, that that this warning or this prophecy about those who would persecute his followers is with regards to religious people. You know the most dangerous people are religious people. The most dangerous people for a follower of Jesus are religious people. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be like Paul. I don't want us to be like that. You know, I I think about. You know, there's a lot you could say about that. History testifies to this the things that have been done in the name of religion, not in the name of Jesus. That needs to be separated. In the name of religion. Remember this. Don't forget this. The most dangerous person to a follower of Jesus is a religious person. Jesus says this. He goes on. Verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going. To him who sent me. And none of you ask, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Imagine this if we could uh, announce this morning. Next Sunday, Jesus is going to be here. Actually, he's going to teach. Next Sunday, Jesus is going to teach. Wouldn't you love that? Man, this place would be packed. People would, people would come from all over. I mean, imagine the excitement. But, but you need to catch what Jesus is saying here. He says, it's actually better if I go. He tells them, it's better that I go, and it's better that the Holy Spirit comes. The, it's better that you have the Holy Spirit than I be there. That means this, that what we have this week compared to what we could have next week is actually better. The fact that Jesus is not here is better than him being here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is present. Jesus was unlimited power, but he was in a physical, human body. The Holy Spirit is not confined to one body. In fact, he dwells Every body that's a follower of Jesus whose faith is in Christ. And we forget that, that he's here, that the Holy Spirit is here and he's, and he's present, that he's a person. You know, we treat him like he's like this mystical force. Like we love pictures of the wind and wind blowing into the church and going through the chairs and amidst the, the people. I love those pictures, man. I, I pray those sorts of things. We, we picture those sorts of things in the moving and the power of the Spirit, but listen, we don't need the wind to blow for the Spirit to move. All we have to do is open our mouths and testify to Jesus and the Spirit moves. All we have to do is open our mouths to confess and proclaim the name of Jesus and the Spirit of truth moves in power because the gospel is the power of God. He touches hearts and minds of people And the Spirit of truth is doing this. He is making you a fortress for the name of Jesus. I love these next verses because over the years, these these verses have really helped me understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Check it out, verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I, said that he, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit has two parts to it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is partially to the world and to the believer. To the world, Jesus says, he does this for the world. He convicts with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. For the believer, that's his ministry to the world. For the believer, his work is this. For those who follow Jesus, who have the indwelling presence of the Spirit, his ministry is this. He guides into all truth. He declares to you the things that are to come. And he glorifies Jesus. I love it that he's got a ministry in the world, and he's got a ministry to you as his follower, as Christ's follower. To the world, his ministry is to bring conviction. He brings conviction regarding sin, regarding righteousness, and regarding judgment. Now, that word conviction, it's not like an internal conviction. Like, oh, okay, I've got, you know, I hold to convictions. It's not that type of conviction. The conviction is this. It's a formal declaration. It's, it's a verdict it's a judge's decision, a court ruling that the law has been broken and someone is guilty. That the, the, the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. He announces the conviction of God's court against the world. And he convicts the world with regard to sin. Jesus said, because they don't believe in me. You know, if If someone is going to believe in Jesus, they need to understand sin. They they need to understand that they are a sinner. And there are many sins that a person can commit. You know, people just feel the shame and, and guilt of sin, but the Holy Spirit only convicts with regards to one sin. There's one thing he's interested in. And people can experience lots of guilt and shame around their sin, but there is one particular sin that the Holy Spirit is interested in, the greatest sin, and that's to be indifferent to Jesus, to reject Jesus. God, God in his love sent his only begotten Son to die for the sins of the world, and the worst sin is to do this. The worst sin is to reject God's provision for you and his Son, Jesus. Nothing else matters with regards to sin. Sin. You know, you could live totally sin-free, sin-free life and then choose to reject Jesus and in the court of God's law, wham, the gavel comes down. That's it. Nothing else matters. That's the only one. The verdict of guilt, the Father will not forgive indifference to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction with regards to sin. He convicts the world with regards to righteousness. Jesus said, because I'm going to the Father, Righteousness. Righteousness means to be perfect. If you're righteous, you are perfect. And either you're righteous or you're unrighteous. You are or you're not. There's no degrees of righteousness. It's not like, oh yeah, you're kind of righteous. There's no degrees. It's like you're righteous or you're not righteous. You know, it's the world doesn't talk about righteous, being righteous. Righteousness. The world talks about being good. And bad, yin and yang, that's what I keep thinking. But righteousness is different. It's different than good and bad. It's not a little bit of good with some bad mixed in and some bad with a little bit of good. You're, you're righteous or you're not righteous. You're in or you're out. You are or you ain't. <laughs> righteous or unrighteous, and it's because men and women are unrighteous that we are separated from our Father in heaven. As we sang this morning, a chasm I couldn't span. Apart from Jesus, all mankind is unrighteous. And this is where Jesus is different because Jesus is righteous. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is not degrees of righteousness. He's righteous. He's morally right. He's justified. He's perfect. In him, there is no sin. That's why only Jesus can stand on the Mount of Olives and say, see you boys, I'm going to see my Father. Whoop, up he goes. There's no chasm. There's no divide between Jesus and the Father. He has access to heaven. He can come and go as he pleases. Jesus had direct access to the Father, unhindered because he's righteous. No one else has that. That's why you can't ascend into heaven. So, I can't walk out the door this morning. See, see you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. Whoop. That'd be pretty cool, though. So, the Holy Spirit does this. He points people to Jesus and he says this Stop using a sliding scale of righteousness. Stop looking at your neighbor and comparing yourself to your neighbor and saying, Well, I'm righteous. Stop using human measurements for righteousness. To measure your righteousness, to get the appropriate weight of your righteousness. Do you know where you weigh your righteousness? Where you measure your righteousness? Against Jesus. And when you do that, you discover you fall short of the glory of God, because he is the glory of God. That's why it's amazing that the scripture tells us about Abraham and about us, that the righteous live by what? The righteous live by faith. If you want to be counted righteous, if you want to be counted righteousness, then it's found in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ removed the barrier of separation that was built by sin. And the scripture says, the righteous. Live by faith. Righteousness is deposited into my spiritual bank account when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and then I'm counted as righteous. Before God, I'm not in degrees of righteousness. Before God, you're not standing in degrees of righteousness. You're righteous. Which means this. You do have access to heaven, to a throne of grace and mercy. I mean, we don't get to ascend into heaven like Jesus, but we have access to heaven. I'm going to heaven because of who Jesus is, not because of who I am. So the Holy Spirit convicts in regards to righteousness. He also convicts the world with regards to judgment. Jesus said, because the ruler of this world is judged. At the cross, Jesus judged the world. At the cross, Jesus judged the ruler of this world. The world world thought this. The world thought that it was judging Jesus. But Jesus was the judge. Jesus was the judge. The, the, the one, and so, so the Holy Spirit convicts the world with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, and with regards to sin, that conviction leads to condemnation. The only thing that leads to condemnation is the one sin, to be indifferent to Jesus, to reject Jesus. Jesus is God's standard for righteousness, Jesus could rightfully judge the ruler of this world and hand out the the verdict that this world is criminally guilty in God's court of law against the Father. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world that, that the judgment of Jesus is real. With regards to sin, it's real. That man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. The world has been convicted in God's court of law. And as we, disciples, followers of Jesus, are filled with the Holy Spirit, these truths direct how we interact with the world. The world is already judged. So you know what I love about that? That means this. I don't have to judge the world. I just follow Jesus. I don't want to be a lawyer. I'm not interested in being a prosecuted attorney. The Holy Spirit Church has not called you to be a prosecuting attorney. The world has a judge. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. Jesus is not looking for prosecutors. Jesus is not looking for judges. Jesus is looking for witnesses. The world's already been judged. The ruler of this world has already been judged. He's just waiting for his sentence. I'm like, yeah, and it's coming, buddy. Yeah, that's right. Amen. And it's our job to be witnesses, to declare, to proclaim Jesus, to speak of his death and resurrection and salvation in him alone, that the righteous live by faith. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And the message of the gospel is this, that you can escape the judgment of this world. You can escape the judgment of this world, that in Christ, there is life, and it's abundant. In Christ, there is life, and it's eternal, that in Christ, there is mercy, that Jesus, though he's a judge, he's a merciful judge, that Jesus, though he's a judge, he is a graceful judge, that that any and all who call upon him will be saved. That's the message of the gospel. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict the world with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. But then he has a ministry to those who follow Jesus. And we're going to pick it up next time. But here it is, quickly. His ministry for those who are following him For following Jesus is this. He guides you into truth. He's the spirit of truth. What is truth? We we look to the spirit of God. He declares to you the things that are to come. Church, there are things coming. And we have the inside scoop. We got the inside story, man. In this world, things are changing. They're changing. This past week in Canada, for the very first time, Canada voted against Israel in the UN. I don't know if you saw that in the news. We betrayed Israel. The only nation in the world now standing with them in the UN is the US. There's a change in the air. In Israel, they can't even vote in a prime minister. They've gone to the polls twice. They're about to go for a third time. They're trying to prosecute Netanyahu and all these things are going. There is change in the air. The Spirit declares things are coming. Serve God, church. The third part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer is this, is that he will glorify Jesus. He will exalt Jesus. That he will lift up the name of Jesus. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. He's leading us into truth. He's declaring to us the things that are to come, and he'll glorify Jesus. Man, we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's what this reminds me. This is what this text tells us. In this world, I need to be filled with the Spirit. Would you guys stand with me? Well, let's pray this morning.